Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Cult Podcast. My name is Nick Haralambus, your ever obsessively curious host. And with me today is Greg Janssen. Janssen? Yes, Janssen. Jansen, hard J, cool. Welcome to the show. And um, as with every episode, I think we're nearly 50 deep at the moment. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and why we should be listening to you. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. So uh, as Nick mentioned, I'm, I'm Greg Jansen. Uh, for my sins, I've uh, invented and come up and head up a company called uh, Pura Beverage Company. You probably know us better by the products that we push out, uh, the main one being a, a product called Pura Soda which in its essence is effectively a better-for-you soft drink that is super tasty and super refreshing. Um, and, and, and more excitingly is, you know, with the launch of our brand platform, Live a Little Pure, that hopefully we can delve a little bit more into because that ties in quite nicely to that obsessive curiosity and where that came from. Um, we have a couple of new, new products coming to market. Uh, we have an alcoholic version coming to market on the 26th of May. And, now that alcohol uh, ban is over. Yes, of course. We had to wait timelessly, um, which, which was great. Um, and then effectively, we have a, a kids range that we will be launching in time for back to school in July. So, Not the same product, of, I assume. No. Well, you know, <laughs> it's funny you mention it because a lot of parents have said, listen, if you could just do a bit of a switch around for us, just for those days when the kids get a little bit too hectic, um, we yeah. wouldn't mind that at all. <laughs> Fair enough. That, uh, that makes sense to me. Okay, cool. So I'm sure we are going to have so much to dive into. Um, so let's get started. Um, in brief, tell me how you ended up where you are, because you started that by saying for all your sins, you have a pure soda a soft drink company. So how did you end up where you are? Yeah, very good question. So, um, you know, post, post university, I was at university, uh, it was in hotel. Um, I had a bursary I paid back for, for, for the government, which was very, very interesting. Um, and then from there, got into FMCG, worked for, for retail, uh, and ultimately ended up um, heading up uh, Coca-Cola in East Africa and Ethiopia, um, which, which in itself was fantastically uh, curious, uh, both in terms of, of business and, and understanding how inter international business works in emerging markets, as well as from a personal aspect. I mean, what an amazing country where, you know, you can sit one day on that veranda on that stoop, you know, in your golden years and just think back of all the amazing adventures that you had. So effectively, my move into beverages came traditionally through, through Coca-Cola, the, the number one brand, brand in the world. And from, from being curious and, and, and wondering, you know, is there potentially a, a better for you option? You know, because that's something that I, I wanted to, to seek out in, in, in my personal life. Um, understanding, you know, am I one and only person that would look at a, at a better for you refreshing drink? Um, looked at, at really what was happening uh, from a consumer and, and, and market research point of view and specifically uh, went to the States and looked at what was happening in the States because, uh, you know, a couple of uh, interesting numbers is that um, the global ready-to-drink market, which is really anything in a can or a bottle, is worth about $1.9 trillion dollars. And it's wow. growing at two and a half to three percent per annum, um, which is massive. Now, the USA makes up around ten percent of that. So, you know, it's not a direct line, but their but their beverage market is worth about two hundred and twenty billion dollars a year. That's why they're all which fat. Is massive. Well, I thought to myself, right, there's a huge market there. Now, there've got to be a couple of guys who would be interested in something a little bit healthier. 
uh, within yeah. that space and um, spend some time in the States. Um, I, uh, again, for the sins part is um, I'm extremely passionate about sports. Um, I've got a, a triathlon and uh, exterior, which is off-road triathlon, um, semi-professional background. So I thought to myself, uh, you know, while I'm in the States, I'll dabble a little bit in that. Um, but I'll also have a look to see from a business perspective. And, uh, you know, my initial research came up with, well, you know, if you could come up with something that's super tasty, everyday price pointed, a little bit more natural, uh, and is better for you, there's, a, there's quite a big growing market. And subsequently, if you look at the numbers in the States, this category is growing from strength to strength. You know, we call it kind of the better for you uh, evolved refreshment, we call it, um, category. And, uh, you know, literally I've seen it grow, you know, almost uh, not quite 50%, but almost 50% year on year uh, as people are looking for that healthier alternative. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, that's what's, where it's all come from, Nick. Amazing. Um, so sticking with this for a little bit, um, I'm interested in a couple of things. The first is, uh, so I run an online academy where I help people start side hustles and, and almost halfway through the program, I can predict what people are going to ask me. And the question is always, how do I know who to sell to? How do I do market research? And so I'm interested, you spoke about, you know, you did this research, you had an idea that maybe a slightly better drink was good. Where did you then go to, to get validation for this idea? Like, what did you do? Yeah, very good question. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I've been very fortunate as, um, you know, working for the Coca-Cola company. I mean, effectively, you know, I was indoctrinated properly into, into understanding, you know, what the consumer is looking for, uh, what market trends are coming through, because it's just critical to, to, you know, that type of multinational business. So, Maybe I had a, a potential um, head start on, on, on most people, but certainly when you leave, um, you know, you only have maybe 10% of those contacts that are valid that you had uh, when you were working in corporate. So I had a base, which, which, which is fair. And, and then with, with the base, I mean, I started out within, um, you know, family and friends is always a good place to start, right? Um, and then maybe one, one step out from that because, you know, family and friends will think that any idea you have is good. So you've got to move out a little bit further where you're going to get some, some honest feedback. Um, and I was, certainly, I was certainly interested to find out, or, or put it this way, I was not surprised to find out that within the sporting fraternity, people wanted something healthier. That's kind of logical. Um, but now you think to yourself, well, I wonder if there's you know, a bigger market than that. So, you know, I reached out again, family, friends, and extended family and friends, et cetera, uh, into, you know, shopper moms, mothers, uh, you know, families to see if they would be interested. And surprise, surprise, they came back and uh, said, yes, we would love something like that. Um, and then I suppose the, the, the final step is, you know, you've got to take the plunge and, and probably do a little bit of formal research. Um, and, and that might involve you know, concocting a couple of samples, coming up with, um, you know, some product for people to taste um, and, and getting some, um, you know, professional consumer um, tasting panels involved uh, and get consumers to, to basically uh, see whether they like it or, or not. Uh, but, but one step before then, I mean, there's so much information available on the internet and, uh, you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out, um, you know, how to, to run a computer. Uh, you know, basically Google, you know, is, is natural a trend coming through, is, is better for you a trend coming through. Um, and there's just so many stats and figures and numbers out there um, that, that can kind of form the base to give you enough 
confidence to produce those samples, family and friends again first, and then dive in, spend a bit of money, you know, get a, get a, broader, a broader perspective with the consumer to taste and tell you if, if, if you're onto something good. Yeah, that's great. It echoes what I, what I teach a lot, which I call the three Fs, friends, family, and fools. So that works perfectly. <laughs> fools are people like me, dumb enough to buy something without knowing it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, the other thing is, um, you know, there's always, uh, you know, those, uh, those trend starters. And, and to your point, you know, we call them kind of uh, the innovators or, or um, you know, trend starters. Uh, maybe they are the fools, but, you know, if you can get, get it into those, those hot spots. Um, you know, who doesn't like to be the first to try something new and exciting? Um, so definitely, you know, what are the hotspots of those in your area? I mean, we, we're based in Cape Town. Cape Town is that hotspot in South Africa. But then there's also, there's also zones within Cape Town where, where you know, you, you, you're going to have more success. So, for example, don't launch something in the middle of suburbia. Um, launch something mm -hmm. in, in Sea Point where all the, the, the cool kids hang out, you know. Yep, that makes sense. Um, okay, let's dive into curiosity now. Um, I like this question because it makes you hark back, but is this any, does anyone in your life, was the person who sparked this curiosity and led you down the path that you're now on? Was there a single person that you can think of? Was it a collective or, you know, how, how did you bring this curiosity to life in your early days? Yeah, I think, I think um, my curiosity is, is hereditary. Uh, you know, effectively, you know, from a, from a family point of view, we're from Zambia and Zimbabwe. So at some stage, you know, 200 years ago, someone was curious enough to, to jump on a ship and, uh, you know, sail down to, to, to Africa. And, you know, effectively, you know, my forefathers uh, built, uh, built the railway lines and built the bridge going over Victoria Falls. So they were, they were railway engineers who came out to do oh. that. So, that's probably, you know, where it started. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that curiosity just in terms of, you know, exploration and excitement has, has never really uh, left me. It's, 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 it's inbred into, into uh, my family DNA. Um, so great if you're born with it. And I suppose to answer your question, it's probably a result of the environment I was brought up in. Um, that's, that's the first thing. And then you also meet a couple of people along the way who, who help who help amplify that. Um, I had a phenomenal uh, mentor within, within Coca-Cola. Um, you know, he was absolutely famous for saying, you know, if they can send a man to the moon, there's absolutely no reason why we can't do X, Y, and Z. Um, and if you think about that, you know, any argument that you've spoken yourself into goes out the water or goes out the window. Um, so certainly he was been, he's been very uh, inspirational. Um, and I suppose the third thing in terms of curiosity is, is um, as, a, as a sports person, and if you, and if you push yourself and, and, and you kind of want to operate at, at, uh, at the highest level, um, there's a strong curiosity to see what can I achieve? Um, you know, for example, can I finish the comrades? You know, can I finish the doozy, you know, within a South Africa context? Can I finish that audacious 500-kilometer uh, event? Um, and, you know, with that, I think also transcends into business where, you know, like why can't we smash something out the park? The last point around this is that, again, with this mentor in Coca-Cola, um, he introduced to me the concept of, of the created future. And, um, you know, he said to me one day, do you know the best way to predict the future? You know, and I sat back and I thought, thought about this and I thought, well, you know, maybe... 
you know, you, you get yourself a crystal ball and you figure out how it works and, you know, you can predict the future. He says, no, the best way to predict the future is to create it yourself. Uh, and with that was born, you know, the concept of the created future where you basically forecast where you think you want to be. And in order for you to basically uh, create your own future, you have to be curious of where you think you will be. For example, in three years, write it down. And then once you've done that, you get down to the task of basically thinking, well, how do I actually make this work? You know, what do I need to do year one, year two, year three as the stepping stones to delivering my created future? Um, so it's all quite exciting. Um, and yeah, I absolutely enjoy it. It's, it's very, I'm very passionate about it. Awesome. Um, so I, as you can only assume by this podcast, I believe that curiosity is this superpower. It is valuable, but it is this very ethereal and very inefficient way of existing. Um, curiosity isn't efficient. Uh, corporates are efficient. You eke out profits here and there. Um, so my question is, how do you allow yourself the time to be inefficient and curious in a busy jam-packed life because you can't, you can't um, schedule curiosity. It is this ongoing, never-ending, meandering thing. How do you actually fit this into your life or do you at all? No, 100% right. And I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, I think, as you know, you know, when you start a company and, and you move into the accelerated growth phase with which we are in, you actually absolutely have to have your, your head down. You've got to be in it. You've got to be putting processes and procedures in place to accommodate uh, the growth and expansion that you're, you're having. If you don't do that, you're dead. And to your point, potentially that could kill curiosity, right? Because it becomes quite functional. Um, so, you know, I'm lucky I've got the sporting background and, um, you know, I, I tend to swim a lot. Um, I tend to, to run and, 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 and cycle a lot. Um, and I find that that time does a couple of things. One, it, it allows me to de-stress and it gets those endorphins um, rushing. It keeps, keeps me passionate about um, my life, my business, you know, my missus, all the good things. But it also allows me, me time to kind of um, uh, wonder and, 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 and be curious um, and I think, I think curiosity is like, is like a muscle. Once, once you start being curious um, and then you le- be a little bit more curious, um, you get better at it. Um, you, you become more curious about, about more things. And I think, again, where, where I've been fortunate, this, this concept of, of uh, the created future gives some structure to the curiosity um, but the time I find to do this is, is generally cycling, swimming, or, you know, even just driving to work. I mean, there's a funny story. Uh, when we started out, uh, we started out in a, in a small house in southern suburbs, um, and, and during absolutely rushed peak hour traffic, it used to take me 49 seconds by car to get home. Um, and, uh, you know, at first I thought, oh, that's great. Um, I'm glad you didn't ask, well, why are you driving? You should be walking. But, um, you know, so, you know, <laughs> I thought, this is great. This is so convenient, et cetera. But the challenge is to what you're saying, you never get time to, to have, let's call it dead brain space. And that dead brain space for me is, I love what you've called it, is actually time to be curious. And, you know, with us moving our offices to Westlake now, it's a 20-minute drive, and it's just a phenomenal time both going to work and coming to work. Um, the time that it gives me is the time it allows me to, to, to be curious, both in terms of right, how are we going to smash today out the park and also 
be curious about, did we basically deliver what we wanted? Could I have done this better? What are the different angles um, on the way home? Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because I have, for the first time in my life, started working from home, obviously due to the pandemic. And I've re- reformatted my entire life to have this kind of work from home, work from anywhere lifestyle. But that means that I'm not walking because I used to live in town in Cape Town and walk 40 minutes to work just because I had the luxury of doing that, which meant 40 minutes of listening to a podcast or an e- audiobook or whatever. Now I exercise and I'm at my desk and I go for lunch and I'm at my desk and I have to actually reserve time in my calendar to read and research. There is a section that my assistant can't book. It's an hour and a half every day that is reading and research time, which is my curious time because I have to manufacture this free time that we have when we commute. It's been a really interesting reset. And I wonder how many people have not noticed that they've slipped into always working when you're working from home. It's a very dangerous thing. Mm. Cool. So um, that was you and your personal life. Um, I'm now interested in shifting the conversation a bit to how you promote curiosity in your professional life with your team, with your company. Um, I'm a big believer in one of the keynotes that I do right now challenges corporates at the end of the keynotes to change one of their core values to curiosity, because I don't believe we have an innovation problem. I believe we have a curiosity problem. So how do you, if at all, push this idea of always learning, always curious in your business and how does it affect how you run this company? Yeah, so, so, what, so what we do is, um, I suppose, as a startup having developed a product, I mean, it's built on curiosity. So what we actually find is we are building curiosity into the culture of our, of our business. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, that other concept of, of continuous discontent and obsessive curiosity, that for me, they're, they're, quite, they're quite closely closely linked. So to answer your question, first of all, is, you know, our, our culture is one of, of um, you know, learning, you know, doing what it takes, um, you know, mindset, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. Um, we define agility as the time taken to convert a challenge to an, an opportunity. So, you know, with these types of core uh, values, you can see they, yes, they cover off kind of the traditional ones, but they're angled more towards um, being curious uh, in, in a way. So we build that into our culture and then we also build that into kind of our brand. So the personality of our brand is Maverick with a cause. Uh, that cause is live a little purer and in itself, you know, your view of living a little purer is different to someone else's view of living a little purer. And we 100% encourage that. And the maverick side of our brand is so super fantastic because it means that there's no limits. Like what you come up with, in fact, we, we're saying you must come up with something new. You must come up with something different. Be creative. You know, again, our budgets are small within our business. Um, and, you know, if, if we do things right, for every rand we spend, we get 10 rands worth of airtime or coverage or, or, or PR or whatever the story is. But in order to achieve that, we have to be curious. We have to be maverick. Um, and we always tie in Levital Pure, which is, which is our cause. Um, and in its essence, Levital Pure is about lifting spirits. So if you start to see where I'm going, we're we about being maverick to help people lift spirits. Wow, isn't that like a great place to be curious every day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very cool. So how do you know, because curiosity is this big, vast thing, 
how do you know what curiosity to pursue at any one time? And um, uh, like my, my poor my poor podcast listeners have, they, they're probably desperate for me to write this fucking um, newsletter I keep talking about. But I spent hours one day researching peanut butter and where it came from and why it exists and how it got to where it is. And then I was like, huh, this is interesting, but completely worthless to me. Like just interesting. So it wasn't useless. I, I enjoyed it and I talk about it all the time, but how do you know what is something that is just fun and interesting and what is a curiosity worth being obsessive over and diving into? And that's for you in your personal life, as well as, as a business. How do you know what curiosity is to pursue? Yeah. So I'm going to start with the easier one, which is the business side. So you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, from a business angle, something has to make, I suppose, financial commercial sense. Um, so again, you know, within, within our business, we have frameworks in terms of um, anyone can bring anything to us as long as it fits within our portfolio, um, as, as long as that, um, you know, it's maverick with a cause. Um, so we, we, encourage, we encourage people to be, to be curious, but I would say there's guardrails um, within that. And, and again, with that culture of, you know, maverick with, with, with a cause, lifting spirits, you can see how it's, 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 it's encouraging and, 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 and it's a great way to work. But within business, you've got to have guardrails. I mean, we're, not, we're never going to launch that peanut butter that you spoke about. You know? um, in, a, in its essence, we are, we are, we are beverages. We're we, we better for you. We're natural, everyday price pointed uh, and super tasty. But within beverages, you know, we're not saying we're just carbonated. I mean, you've heard we're launching an alcohol range. We've got a kids range coming up. There's one or two other categories that we're looking to move into. Um, and to help give direction in terms of that curiosity, we always say, make sure you do the research, um, make sure you understand the size of the opportunity and be curious from a business point of view in those areas that make commercial sense. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of from the business, the business point of view, um, from a, from a personal point of view, she this is a, a difficult one. How do I, how do I remain curious in a, in a personal well, no, more, more specifically, how do you know which of your curiosities to actually spend time on? Because you strike me as the kind of person that I am. I'm a, I'm a squirrel brain. Oh my goodness, look at that. That's interesting. Oh, I just read that book. Let me go look at that. How do you know what to go? Okay, let me spend the next 10 hours researching this or the next 10 days focused on this thing that made me interested. Yeah, very good question. You know, what, what I find is um, actually the way that LinkedIn has evolved during, um, during COVID and lockdown, um, it, it certainly evolved more than just a, a kind of connection point. There's interesting articles that come on. And if you are a, a curious squirrel, I mean, there's so many things there that, uh, that, you, that, could, that hold your attention. And, you know, hopefully, you know, most of your contacts not all within one specific industry because then you're going to get a very narrow band of curiosity, but, um, you know, they're, they're all over. So, like, I find within my, my personal life, I try to um, be a little bit uh, more unstructured in my curiosity because within work, I'm quite structured within that curiosity and there are those bands. So, you know, I will kind of, um, you know, look at the news. Um, I, will, I will look at LinkedIn articles that uh, don't necessarily relate to my industry. I mean, it's important to be curious within my industry. I'm always doing that. But I try to I try push myself to, you know, learn something new every single day. Um, and I suppose one thing that I find myself being curious about is when I read books, 
I always read it with my cell phone next to me because, you know, there's things in there or there's names of places or names of things that, you know, under normal circumstances, you would literally just read over. Um, and, and, and I find myself, it, it just really helps you relax if you're curious and, you know, I make it up. Timbuktu. Where's Timbuktu? Okay, what's the history of Timbuktu, etc. Um, so that, that's how I, I remain curious, but it's, it's not structured and, and that's for a purpose, you know. Awesome. That sounds good. Um, so this could be anything, but what are you most curious about right now? Um, I'm going to push you for two different things. One is work-related and one is not work-related. So from a, from a work-related point of view, I'm, I'm absolutely curious about um, you know, how, how COVID has affected uh, the multinationals. Um, there seems to be you know, one or two different schools of thought. Um, you know, there, there's, there's kind of massive acquisition drives happening left, right, and center. And it's just amazing to see um, who's, who's, doing, who's doing what. Um, and it's, it's, I suppose it sounds logical, but these guys are sitting on lazy balance sheets. They've got to, they've got to basically uh, return investments to, to shareholders. And the quickest way to do that is by acquiring some interesting businesses. Um, and it's very interesting to see the types of businesses that people are, are, uh, are, are acquiring. Um, and, you know, I suppose parallel to that is, is also um, it's very interesting to see the path that some businesses are moving into. So one of the things I've been curious about, um, having come from the Coca-Cola system, knowing that um, alcohol is something that they never, ever would move into at any, uh, by, by any stance, um, is changing. Now, Coca-Cola are now producing an alcoholic version that will be coming out shortly or, or is out wow. to countries. Um, so, you know, it's just been absolutely fascinating to see how people are, there's this big word pivot, pivoted over this time. Um, I suppose it's, it's, it's being curious and being more responsive, number one, to what consumers are looking for. Um, but I suppose also curious how they've responded to, um, uh, to, to COVID. Um, the one thing I will say, and the one thing I have noticed is, is that to, to make it through COVID and lockdown and, and today's times, you need to be 100% clear on, on, on what the core values of your business are and, and what you offer as a business. And again, I'm, I'm super curious to actually understand how very, very old multinationals um, like distill that down. Um, are they clear about what their value is or they, and, 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 and their purpose? Or is there or any they, value profit? Correct. Or have they kind of meandered over, you know, over time? Um, mm. So it keeps me engaged, keeps me engaged. I want to um, ask you anecdotally on the, um, your observation of acquisitions and these big multinationals making the acquisitions. Have you seen a specific country or market that they're focusing on for these acquisitions or is it just broad-based whoever's got the most profit they're trying to acquire? Okay, so this is just a, just a, a generalized statement from, what, from what, sure. what I've observed. But if you think of the returns that companies in Europe um, are, are getting, I mean, they've been very low. I mean, they've been kind of single-digit single growth, um, the same for some areas in the States, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. And traditionally, if you think of, of businesses that, that uh, have exceptionally high growth, it's, it's predominantly in your, in your emerging markets. Um, let's talk about Africa. I mean, there's been phenomenal growth and GDP numbers um, through, through, through Africa. So, you know, I've seen in my space, and maybe this is because I'm more Africa-centric, I've seen a lot of European companies looking to acquire businesses within, within Africa. Um, and I suppose as a, as a shareholder, uh, if you were a shareholder in a company 
uh, in Europe, for example, um, you could probably draw a direct correlation to, well, you know, we're acquiring something high growth in Africa. We can apply our um, European standards to route to market, marketing, et cetera, et cetera, and, and multiply that, which, which evidently would, would uh, benefit shareholders further down the line. And I suppose your Euro bank balance that is multiplied by five or 10 times if you bring it into Africa. Correct, 100%. So, so that's kind of been the trend that, um, that I've seen. Um, but it, it just seems that there's just a lot of activity. And, and again, I think, you know, if, if you look at, you know, what people were invested in, I mean, one of the most interesting things I've seen is that, um, you know, we, we've, as a startup business or as, as a tech business, you, you're probably a little bit more high risk than, you know, putting your money in, you know, a, a massive multinational. Um, or, or property, for that matter. And one of the interesting things I've seen is, and, and talking to some of the bankers that we speak to, is that uh, previously um, property was seen as the safe bet, and you put your money in, in property because that's where it's going to grow. And you know, high risk. High risk is these kind of, um, let's say, like us, you know, a fast growing beverage company or or a fast growing, you know, IT IT business. And I've actually seen a total swing um, where oh, property is a bit risky, and oh, put your money in Bitcoin. There we go. Go for the guys that are giving the good returns. <laughs> that's been fascinating to watch. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so I want to shift a little bit towards the idea of failure. Um, so I think that there's a few key high-level concepts that are tied together for me, um, especially in the workplace. You can't promote a culture of curiosity if you have a culture of fearful failure. So if your team and you are fearful of failure and the outcome leading to them being fired or the business going under or whatever, they're not going to push the boundaries. They're not going to explore blue oceans. They're going to stay in shallow water. So I'm interested, again, two, two phases to this. The first is, um, especially as a, a, you said, an outdoor triathlete. Is that what you phrased it, that you are? Yeah, so a, a triath triathlete, and then and then basically a an off road triathlete. I've done I've done okay. both. It's called it's called so, Xterra. Xterra. So you must have an, an intimate experience and knowledge and feeling towards failure. Um, and I'm interested as a, an individual, how do you deal with failure? What is it like in your life? What role does it play? And then how does that trickle over into your business? Yeah. So for me, you know, failure is just simply a previous attempt at success. So you know, if that's the mindset that you have. Um, you know, life, life is, is, is brilliant um, because, you know, not everything is going to work out. And, you know, there's some amazing stories. And I suppose this is where, you know, when you're curious and, and you listen to other people's stories um, who, who've kind of made it. I mean, you know, there's a couple that stick, stick to mind. But, you know, the person who started uh, KFC, Colonel Sanders, I mean, he was 65, you know, retired, had no money. The only thing he had was, you know, he's, 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 I'm going to get it wrong, but, you know, his, his grandmother's chicken recipe. Um, and um, he started making chickens to make, to make a living. And, and, and look what happened. And, and there's so many stories like that, you know. I mean, uh, Thomas Edison, I mean, um, what, what number attempt did he basically perfect the light bulb? I think it was like the thousand and one, you know, attempt. Um, so it definitely helps to kind of do your research and be curious and look at what other people have done. And the more you, the more you go through this, you will realize that the bulk, 99% of people who've been successful have absolutely got it wrong. Um, and it's not, about, it's not about how many times you get it wrong. It's about how many times you get back up again and, and proceed and move forward. 
Yeah, I like to tell people that I've never met a successful person who's avoided failure to their success. You just can't do yeah. it. You, you can't avoid failure and then succeed. You have to go through failure. It's impossible. Um, so sticking with failure, what um, can you tell us about your last biggest failure, um, what that was like, what it was about, or the last one you're able to talk about um, and how you recovered or how you got over it, how you got through it, uh, it can be anything. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think um, from, from a personal, from a personal note, uh, you know, one of the, one of the triathlons I did was, was Ironman. And for those of you who don't know Ironman, it's, it's, it's pretty audacious. Uh, it's a 3.8K swim, 180K cycle, and a 42K run. Now, if you're crazy enough, you do that all together. There's about a thousand of you who are crazy enough to attempt it all together. Um, and we actually do this for fun, and, and you get a medal, and there's a, there's a cutoff time. Um, and, uh, you know, the time taken to train for one of these things, as you can imagine, is about 10 or 11 months. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I put my, my heart and soul into this. Uh, you know, you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't see your partner. Uh, you know, you're up at four in the morning. You've got about, you know, 25, 30 hours a week of, of training, which you must do while you still have a day job. So anyway, I was in the absolute shape of my life. Uh, and one week before uh, the, the event, you know, I started my taper. <laughs> and four, week, four days before the event, I got flu with my tapering. Oh. Uh, I've only trained for 11 months for this, for this event. Um, and, um, you know, I took every, every substance known to man and probably a few not known to man to try to try get better. Uh, but ultimately... Uh, you know, my doctor just said to me, "Look, you're welcome to you're welcome to race. You're not going to perform. You, you should you should be okay." Um, and I just thought to myself, "Look, um, you know, there's no real point because I've come here to do exceptionally well. I'd rather just uh, be supportive." My girlfriend at the time was doing the, the the race, so maybe everything happens for a reason, right? You know, it's less about me, more about her. Uh, but that was certainly a big a big blow from a from a personal point of view. But, you know, if you have that mindset about, you know, previous attempts at success, or just, uh, you know, that's what failure is about, um, shook it off um, after, after a good six weeks of eating properly and, and um, you know, enjoying myself, having a bit of a laugh, and then slowly got back into it. And, uh, you know, basically the next year went to, to world champs and um, you know, did, did quite well there. So... So yeah, that's that's something that's something personal. Again, it's it's so hard for me to separate work and 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 personal because I think once you have this mindset, it's impossible to actually separate, um, you know, these concepts um, from 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 work work and work and personal. Um, However, just to push sense. you. It does. It does. Definitely. The personal story is great, but I want to push you on the, the work thing because your understanding, yeah, because your understanding of failure is very clear, very finite, very specific. You've got a good relationship with it. How does that trickle down into your team? Because they're not doing triathlons. They're not training like you. They don't have the same experiences. So how do you brace them for failure? How do you let them do that um, successfully? Yeah. So I think, I think the key thing is, you know, Depending on what words you use, depends how someone perceives it or the culture that you build. So we don't talk about we don't talk about failure. We talk about either previous um, attempts at success, or we talk about you know a, a learning lesson. 
you know. And, and you know, we, we certainly allow, you know, the, the scope and the space for people to, to kind of have these learning events. I mean, the key thing for us in the business, when you're so fast growing like that, yes, process and procedure is critical, um, but we prefer to, let's call it lean forward, um, as opposed to, to, to stand perfectly still. Um, and, in, and in leaning forward, um, you get traction. So, you know, in work, we liken it to um, if you're at the beach and uh, you're playing in the waves and, and a wave picks you up and is, and is carrying you fast towards the shore. Um, you know, in a perfect world, you know, you, you're perfectly upright and your head's out of the water and it's, it looks amazing from the beach. But in, in, in our space, in, in, in our work, we, we don't mind if, you know, sometimes you're upside down, sometimes you're underwater. Um, as long as that wave is pushing you towards, towards the beach um, and as long as, you know, once we've had this learning experience, we bank that and we make sure that it, it never happens again. And I think, Nick, to your point is that if you want to grow a business and you want to move quickly and you want to tap into consumer insights um, and you want to be successful, you have to have to understand you cannot always do it in a perfectly structured environment. And it's way, way better, again, to, to, to lean forward than to rather, stand, to, to rather stand still. Again, it's the culture that we build. Yep, that makes complete sense to me. Um, I'm interested uh, in the practicalities of um, the nature of experimentation in an FMCG business. So by nature, you're always bringing out new flavors, new drinks, you're doing alcohol, you're doing kids. That means that you must have quite significant R&D budget, which is, in my world, curiosity budget, right? How does that trickle down? Is it a percentage of your total turnover? Do you, like, how do you factor in this idea of experimenting new products? And when they fail, what happens practically in your business? Do you throw them out or iterate? So, I mean, Touchwood, I think we've been very, very fortunate. And because I mean, this this kind of put structure into, into, into the curiosity conversation. But, you know, research for us is the basis of everything that we do. Um, research to say it's more like this type of thing. So, for example, with flavors, we'll do research and we'll look at the top, the top, two fla- top 10 flavors launched over the last two years and the top 10 flavors uh, predicted to, to take the market by storm for the next five years coming forward. Now, who who that does that of re- sort of research? Who is saying that the 10, no, these are the are. 10 flavors? Really? So, that is mental. There's, there's certain agencies. Like that matcha tea is going to be the new thing for 2022 or whatever. 100%, you know, wow, so, that's so, so for interesting. Example, for example, the number one um, kids flavor to, to, the, to what we've been told is, is peach, as an example. Um, so yeah. it's actually fasc- fascinating things. I mean, the, the, the number one um, fruit flavor globally is cranberry. Um, no. So there's some amazing things, I promise you. That's what the, that's what the experts say. Absolutely. Wow, I am not one of those people. <laughs> so, again, I think, um, you know, we, we focus on, on, on research. And within that research, there's a lot of elements of, of, of experimentation and curiosity in there. So, you know, we'll look to see, you know, what can we put this in? Again, um, you know, what are the big categories that look like they're coming through? What are the changes and shifts in, in, in trends? Um, you know, if you are going to be successful, my belief is that you need to solve a challenge and not sell a product. Um, and, and you have to be curious if you're looking to solve a challenge um, as opposed to just selling 
selling a product. So that's the kind of, you know, this, this is how we speak in our business. Um, and, and like I said to you, with, it's so important how you speak because that determines how people think. Um, one other thing that I think that's important is in our business, we have a jar. I'll show it to you. Here. It's called the problem yeah. jar. You'll yeah. notice there's a whole lot of money in the problem jar. Um, and it's because we have banned that word problem from our business. That don't exist. We only have challenges or we have opportunities. And again, those types of wording, you know, basically facilitate a culture of curiosity as opposed to, oh, this is a problem. What are we going to do about it? Interesting. Can you give me um, a kind of a working example of uh, one of your team comes to you and says, you know, Greg, we've got a challenge that our career has broken down. And that for you reframes that as a, let's find a solution, not this is a roadblock. 100%. So I find, I find personally, I find problem lands hard on my ears. Like I've got a, we've got a problem. So, you know, if, I know, you, I know, you know, your, your, your speakers can't see me, but <laughs> we've got a problem. Yeah. It, it yeah. kind of feels like it stopped right Body there. Body language if changes. Come, absolutely. And if I come to you and I say, right guys, we have an opportunity. What do you mean? Well, the great, you know, the opportunity is that, you know, the truck broke down on the side of the road. We now have an opportunity to basically investigate, uh, you know, a, a second backup supplier um, to, to make sell it on the corner of the street and make money right now. There we go. Like what, yeah. what is the opportunity? What is the opportunity? That is really interesting. I, I, I've never considered that, but I do agree with you. I think language facilitates thinking and if you can shift the way you talk, you'll shift the way you think. And there is actually interesting research around this, that bilingual people or multilingual people actually think in different ways because they have different words to use. Um, so this is uh, not one of our pre pre thought out questions, but I'm interested in, uh, from a business perspective, how much do you rely on gut versus data to inform the decisions you make? And I, I understand it's a combination of two. It's never one or the other, but like you're the brains behind this business. You drive it passionately. Do you say, I want to do alcohol and then you go and get the data or does the data inform the move to alcohol, which, which is which for you guys? Yeah, so, so again, we're a little bit different because what we do is we bring, we bring in experts uh, from industry and those experts from industry can all work in an entrepreneurial mindset and in, in, in an entrepreneurial way. So effectively, they can all roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. So that gut is effectively based on years and years of experience and there is no substitute for, for experience. So again, when we're talking guts, we're talking about, you know, someone's walked over broken glass to get this kind of knowledge. Um, so for us, it's, it's definitely a combination of, um, wow, that's, that's, that's been interesting. Um, you know, again, a lot of us come from all the top corporates and we know what they've been looking at. Um, and then, you know, we will delve into, into the research, again, looking to solve a challenge as opposed to sell a product. Um, so so let's, take, let's take the, the alcohol, for example. Um, there's a whole move towards better for you. Everyone knows that. Everyone wants something a little bit more natural, a little bit more healthier. Um, i ask you within South Africa, I mean, is there a more natural, better for you alcohol that you're aware of? I mean, maybe, maybe wine, you could argue, don't know. Um, and, and, and when you kind of do that research, then you go and you do the research and you, and you discover like there's a, there's a product in the States that's seven years old uh, and is now doing three and a half billion dollars turnover. 
you've got to say to yourself, wow, I mean, right, there's, there's, there's a market that's forming. And generally, um, the U.S. Is a, is a lead indicator of what's going to be happening around the world. I mean, the, the U.K. is normally two to three years, three years behind the U.S. And, and the U.S., the U.K., the Middle East, Australasia, and South Africa all have similar types of uh, trends that, 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 that people conform to. And I suppose it's all because, you know, ultimately we come from that um, European, Anglo uh, background. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of the both, but we're a bit different because that gut is based on, on people's experience. Awesome. So some quick fire questions to end us out. Um, the first is, what strongly held belief do you no longer hold? And that could be anything, work-related, personal, you name it. Jeez. <laughs> What's the second question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. If you've got nothing, I'm happy to move on. <laughs> this is come, your interview I'll with come, me, Adam. I'll, I'll come back to that one. I'll come back to okay. that one. Uh, then what do you wish someone had told you when you were just starting this company? Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, people need to consistent, consistently tell you that, um, you know, there's no, there's no tailwinds. Um, there's, there's, only, there's only headwinds and, uh, you know, you've just got to keep tracking. Now, that's something that you know and you believe, but it's something that, you know, you actually need someone to continuously tell you um, all the time. I think what I, what I really wish is, is that... Um, I'd known about there's a couple of organizations that, that exist. Um, um, EO is one of them, um, uh, entrepreneurs organization, as well as, uh, you know, YPO, et cetera. And, and these are only kind of available to you when your business hits a certain size. Um, but it's so amazing to have access to other entrepreneurs who, who walk the path um, if nothing else, other than the expertise and the networks that they bring, just to basically encourage you and say, listen, mate, I've been through that. I know what you're going through because, you know, a, a challenge shared is a challenge halved without a doubt. Um, and, you know, th this is something that I really, really wish had, had been spoken to me before around these types of networks, et cetera. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's, there's processes, little micro pockets of, of, people starting to form groups that entrepreneurs or startup companies can start to do the same before you're at this financial level, which effectively means you've kind of, you're on your way, you know? Um, so yeah, I think cool. that's, that's, uh, that's certainly something that I would focus on. Yep. And then um, finally, before we ask you to tell us where people can find and follow you is what's keeping you up at night right now? Um, our growth. Uh, you know, there's so, there's so many elements to, to our growth. I mean, um, you know, you need to make sure that, that there's cash coming in, um, you know, because we're VC funded, we need to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the numbers keep, keep turning. Um, you need to make sure that, you know, your, your core um, staff are, are, are the right people um, because effectively as your business grows, your, your kind of requirements for skills change within a business. Um, and you need to make sure you've got those right people ahead of the curve to, to, to make that happen. Uh, but at the same time, you need to be developing people within your business because they've, they've kind of been the lifeblood. They've been, you know, the stable pillars that have got you to this, to this period in time. Um, so you constantly need to make sure that um, they're also engaged. But probably one of the biggest things that, that uh, you need to continually focus on is what I'm focusing on at the moment is, is culture. Because 
people do business with people. Um, you know, people run businesses. And if you've got your culture right, um, even if you're putting in 10 to 12 hours day, to 10 to 12 hour days, um, if people come to work and they feel like they really enjoy it and they're having fun, they will never work a day in their lives. I mean, when people look forward to coming to work and they're excited to meet their colleagues and they're excited to, to move into new categories, even if they're putting in longer hours, that growth becomes an absolute reality. Amazing. So finally, will you please tell us where people can find you online, follow you online and buy from you wherever you want them to go? Brilliant. So, so in bricks and mortar stores, we're in all major retailers except Woolworths, uh, Discam Clicks, uh, we're in Four Courts, etc. Uh, online, um, Take a Lot, uh, uh, Loot is the but Take a Lot is, is is the main one that we follow. One day only is a couple of specials coming on that we use for for promos with some new products. So, look out for us there. Um, in Facebook, our handle is. Live a, live a little purer um, and Instagram and, and Twitter too. Um, what's, what's very exciting is we launched a campaign, a campaign last week, Long Live Summer. Uh, it runs to the 4th of, of July. Um, look out for it in stores, look for out for it online in terms of those handles that we spoke, we spoke to. Um, and it's, it's basically, um, you know, for us reflects the sign of the times. And, and the concept around this um, campaign is, is all around, you know, Lockdown happened in December when we all wanted to go to the beach. Um, kind of lockdown happened again in, in, in Easter. Uh, now, you know, things are starting to open up a little bit, um, but the weather's turned bad. And uh, we're saying, bugger that, long live summer. Um, you know, for us, Durban is a, is a destination. If anyone lives in Durban or knows people in Durban, it's always hot all year round. Winter in Durban is the best time of year for Durban. So we've got a, this amazing competition. There's the amazing prizes where, you know, all these people working from home, one of the first prizes is, is, a, is a month's free accommodation in, in Zimbali in, a, in a, uh, an amazing apartment on the beach. Um, and, and well, it's, we've got free flights with our partners, et cetera. Um, so so look, look out for us in that competition. Look at us in those handles. And uh, please, please try us and, and look out for the, the alcoholic range launching on the 26th of, of May. Amazing. I look forward to all of those things. Um, and thank you again for your time and for your insights. This has been great. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the Curious Cult podcast, the show where we talk to incredible people about their fascinating curiosity. If you like this episode, please rate the show, like it, share it, and generally be kind to us and tell people about it. My goal is to spark curiosity that changes the world. And you can help by talking about the show to anyone who will listen. Stay curious. Until next time.